I'm so glad to see you all. I agree with Dave when he talked about the Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. Guys, um, when we make this study today, when we, when we look at what Peter has to say to us today, I'm going to talk about us being the spiritual men, husbands, being the spiritual leaders within our families, within our homes. And, and coming to a study on, on Monday evening once a month, or, or men, if you could make it to the Wednesday morning breakfast that we have at Kino's from um, 6 to about 7.30. Um, Any time, guys, that you can get into a study to understand and try to comprehend what the Bible is saying to you as an individual, it, 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 it'll strengthen our church. Man, God wants to use us because... Well, the ladies' hearts are so amazing. Last week, we studied in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We took a look at the wife's uh, position within marriage. For whatever reason, Peter stopped this particular um, writing in this book that he is, is doing, and he, and he centered it in on the family. And he talked to, in verses 1 through 6, he, he talked to the wives and he made a very startling and very, uh, what would be a, to some a very stern statement, saying, wives, you are to be submissive to your own husbands. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to see why that word stings every woman that's here. And, and if you say it doesn't, I, I, I don't think that that's truthful. Because you see... Part of the curse that is placed upon a woman's heart is that she will have, he says, your desire shall be for your husband. Genesis chapter 2. Your desire, no, chapter 3. Your desire shall be for your husband, but you must control it. The word desire there does not mean you'll desire him sexually, but means that you will desire to control him. And that's part of the curse. It's a, a daily battle that every woman must go through. If that's true, and it is, what do we do as, as men? What do we do as husbands? Well, verse 7 in 1 Peter chapter 3, men, if you understand, and I'm talking to married men and just all of us, whether you're married or not, men, if you can understand this verse, then you have a grip and a grasp on what is a great marriage. I'm telling you, the ball is in our court as a man to love our wives. In Ephesians 5, 20, 35, 25 or 35, it says, Husbands, love your wives like Jesus Christ loved the church. So our job is monumental as, as men. Well, Peter tells you exactly how you are to do that. Ladies, sit back, kind of relax. Listen to what the Bible has to say to us as men and how we are to live our lives with you. And men, if you can grasp the grace of God that, and comprehend the depth of what verse 7 is saying to you and me, to truly live with our wives in an understanding way. To truly, as it says in Ephesians, to love your wife like Jesus Christ loves the church. Namely, you. 
then I say if you grasp that, you, when they bury you, it's going to take a week for them just to wipe the smile off your face as a man. Because you will never, ever be able to out-love your wife. As we're going to learn, and we've already studied it some, as we're going to see why, in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 7, God said He formed man. He formed us out of the dust of the ground. But in that same chapter, Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, it says He took a rib from the man, caused the man to go into a deep sleep, and then He fashioned. He didn't form a woman. He fashioned a woman. And that word fashion in the Hebrew is a word that means an architecture. It's, a, it's as an architect would build a great and wonderful building. And the reason that we're not the same, men and women, is because in Genesis, God said to the man, it's not good for you to be alone. I will make you a helper, a woman who is suitable, suitable for you. In other words, who will complement you, who will complete you as a being. And that's when he fashioned a woman. And by the way, ladies, as you complete us, we complete you. But neither of our roles are the same within a marriage. They're different. And so, let's take a look. If in Hopefully, yes, your wives are willing to become submissive to you. And what is our job as a husband? Read with me, please. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Just one verse, but there's so much in it, as you're going to see. You husbands, in the same way or likewise... Live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Try to make sense of this, but let's first pray. I would be very fearful to try to go into this verse to try to speak for Peter, but mainly speak for our Lord without asking Him to cover us with prayer. I do ask that, Father. I, uh, I love the song we just sang a little while ago, Lord, uh, just give us Jesus. We can have all this world. It's, it's meaningless. Give us Jesus. Thank You for Your Son, Father. Thank You that You gave Him to die upon a cross for the very soul of every person that walks the face of this earth, that they would just come to trust and believe in you as their Lord and Savior. Father, would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law, the Bible that we study? Would you help us to to comprehend it, Father? And would you move me aside so that I don't get in the way of that process, so that I don't interfere with what you want to say to every single one of us here today. So bless your word. Bless us, Father, as we try to live it out. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, while I was praying, I I couldn't help but thinking how much I love you guys. I know I tell you that, maybe too often. But I was just thinking, it's very kind of you to come to church. And, and, And unless you've ever done this, to stand in front of people and speak and have people look at you like you're looking at me, 
it's, it's intimidating, but it is such a privilege. But, but the only privilege there is in it, and the reason why I tell you I love you so much, is because when I get through with this study, I'm going to go home and probably tonight, sometime after I take a nap, I'll, I'll go back and look at my Bible and, and look at what next week is going to hold for us. It, and you force me into the Word of God by your attendance, by your listening, by looking like you do at me. You're, Say something, Johnny. Teach us something, Johnny. And that is so comforting to me and intimidating. But I love you. I love you for that, that, that fact and the privilege of doing what, I've, what I do. Um, someone came to church this, this morning in the first service from another church, bigger church, said they want to feel comfortable. They feel comfortable in a smaller church. They kind of like this church. And um, I said, you know, the size of a church is irrelevant. It really is irrelevant. If you went to a mega church, you'd probably only get to know 100, 200 people at the most, just like the size of this. You come to this church, you won't get to know everybody. You'll try, hopefully. So the size of the church is, is irrelevant. You know what's important in a church? Each of you guys, our hearts. What kind of a people are we when people come into our church? How, how, do we, how do we embrace them? How do we make them feel? It's intimidating to walk into a new church. We can help a person that comes here fresh by making them feel very much at home. As a matter of fact, Harley, who I love more than life itself, I don't know if he's in this service or not, he, he's ushering. Um, I don't see him. I hardly uh, made sure I, get to, I got to meet a young lady back there that is at our church for the first time. And I didn't mean to point you out. I'm just thinking through just the whole process of, of what makes a church really special. It's not the size of a church. It's not the beauty of it, although I think this is a very beautiful sanctuary. What's really beautiful are you, people of the church. Now, man, we've got an important job ahead of us. That's to um, live with our wives in an understanding way. Peter starts this off by saying, husbands, likewise, or in the same way. If you look back at verse 1 of chapter 3, Peter told the wives the same thing. He said to the wives in verse 1, in the same way. In other words, what we need to do as now husbands is look back just like the wives had to look back to chapter 2. Verses 13, 14, and 15, and also verse 21. What happened in chapter 2 that Peter tells us, in the same way you are to live out your life? Well, the same way is verse 13 of chapter 2. See it? Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one on authority, or to governors sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Jump ahead and look at verse 21. It says in verse 21 of chapter 2, You and I, we have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And so, when Peter says in chapter 3, you wives in the same way, or husbands 
in the same way or likewise, he is saying that we also as husbands are to become submissive. We're to, we're to understand our wives. How? Well, let's look further. Look with me, please, at um, verse 7 again, the first few words. We're to live with our wives in an understanding way. An understanding way in the Greek is a, a statement that is a farming term. In other words, Peter is saying, the Lord is saying to you and me as a husband, we're to live with our wives as a farmer would his land. Now, no farmer on the face of this earth would plant something in his earth that he knew would not grow. He would not buy something that needed a lot of sun and plant it where it was just shady. Nor would he buy or plant anything that needed a lot of water in a place that was high ground and dry. No farmer would do that. He would look at what he has been given to grow and he would live with that. He would understand it. And so God is saying to you husbands, to me as the husbands, we are to understand our wives. In other words, if you see your wife struggling with submission, then don't force it on her. Don't fight with her to submit, but rather help her to flourish. A good husband, when we become like Christ to our wives, we need to find out what our wives need to flourish and to help them in their area of, say, giftedness. Let me give you the example I always do because it's the truest one that I know, and it, and it's, it happened to me in our marriage, my wife in our marriage. When we first got married, the only, only example I had in this whole idea of, of, of being a husband was my dad. That's, that's all I had. So I, I figured I would treat Kay like my dad treat my mom. They were very, very happily married. Had a great marriage. Dad loved mom, no doubt about it. And, and mom respected dad, no doubt about it. Dad took care of all the money, all of it. I never, never saw, mom never worked a day. She never drove a car. She didn't even know how to drive a car. Mom, mom was a housewife thoroughbred best housewife I've, apart from my wife, best I've ever seen. <laughs> you know what? You guys, last, last week you laughed at me another time. Last week I got myself in trouble because I was talking about Valentine's Day and, and communication. And I says, you got to communicate. Now, the word in, let me go back. Just, uh, I'm going to wind up. I know I'm going to get more trouble. Uh, be careful. I'm, I'm going to be careful. But in Genesis chapter 2, when it talks about husbands and wives, it says, Husbands, I want you to leave your mother and your father. I want you to cleave unto your wife. I want the two of you to become one flesh. And both of you were naked, he said, and not ashamed. That, that had nothing to do with what they were not wearing. Naked means transparent in the, in the, in the Hebrew. Not ashamed means opened. What God was saying to Adam and Eve is what I'm going to teach when we get there in Genesis 2 is the key to a godly marriage is communication. So when I said about Valentine's and you want to know what she does, just, just ask her, be naked. And you guys went, Noom! you just started to laugh at me. And I loved it. 
I absolutely loved it. But I, but I, couldn't, I, I couldn't get out of the, the mud. I was in that mud. It was right near the end of the service. I couldn't explain it all, so I thought I'd do it this week. And I, wasn't, I forgot about it until you just laughed at what I just said. So I love this, I love this service because you guys are as loose as could be. And you're, and you're fun. And I love fun. You see, I'm 77, but I'm really, in here's a kid. In here's a guy that lived his life in the locker room who would pull tricks on guys and who, who a lot of joking and a lot of teasing going on. And that's who I really am. That's who I really am. And only when I look in the mirror do I realize how doggone old I am. I'm still about 25, 6, 7 years old and still ready to play some ball. But I can't. But I love, your, I love your sense of humor. I love that you laugh. I think if we don't laugh in church, darn us. We should be the happiest people on the face of this earth because we have the salvation of our Lord. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus and we have the right, the privilege to laugh and enjoy. So church should never be... Uh, What's that word? Stodgy? I don't even think that's a word. I can't think of it. Never mind. But you, I think you know what I mean, don't you? We should be free to laugh and have a good time with one another. So as a good husband, if you see, like my, I watched my father and my mother and I saw dad took care of all the money, I decided that's what I'll do. I have my husband. But, but the truth of the matter is I'm terrible with money. I'm terrible with making payments on time. I'm terrible with book work. I'm not an administrator at any degree. Last service, Jenny Johnson was in the service. And without her, I'm, I'm, we're, I'm, we're dead in the water. She keeps me on top of everything. I'm not good at it, but I, I took care of the money. And, and I was noticing, noticing Kay over the year or so started to look. Her countenance fell. You know, she started to look... She wasn't flourishing at all. I said, what's wrong? And she says, you're going to make us go broke. Now, that's not a good thing to say to a husband that thinks he's taking care of the money, right? And so my, my decision to do is to ask her, what do you mean by that? She says, I think I could handle our money better than you. And so as the husband in our family, as the spiritual leader of our home, I said, I delegate that responsibility to you. And I said it with some sort of a meanness in there. And I said, you're going to fail. Watch. You're not going to do this. I could do it. You can. So I delegated it to her. Not a great motive, but I did. And this motive that I had was perfect. I said, I will show her what it's like to be submissive. You see, if I live with my wife, if you live with your wife in an understanding way, and she has... trouble with submission, then delegate to her something that she will flourish in and be submissive to her so that when she has to be submissive to you, it'll be easier for her. She'll see that you have done it to her so she can do it to you in return. Teach her submission through your servanthood, husbands. Be an example to her to help her to flourish. Why? Look at verse 7 again. Because... It says she is a weaker vessel since she is a woman. Now, that stings in a woman's heart, I would guess. The word weaker there does not mean less than or not as strong as. 
The word weaker vessel there explains itself, says, since she is a woman. It doesn't mean you can beat her in arm wrestling. It doesn't mean that she is a less of a being than you are as a man. What it does mean is, if she does what verses 1 through 6 asks her to do, then she willfully places herself underneath your authority, which makes her, in that case, a weaker vessel. It makes her submissive to her own husband. So live with her in an understanding way. Know what makes her tick because she is a woman weaker because she has willfully placed herself under your authority. And if your wife needs to have some place of authority, then delegate it to her and you be submissive to her so that she understands what that whole process looks like and means. You see, Paul taught us very clearly that we are all equal. There's not someone weaker or less than another in the Bible. He says in Galatians, Paul does, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. He says there is neither slave nor free. He says there is neither male or female. He says we are all one, one in Christ. We're all equal. The only reason that Peter says that she is a weaker vessel is to bring order into the family of God. Because God is a God of order. Above everything else, He is a God of order. Just look at our universe and how it ticks along. So Peter says in that state, look back at at verse 7, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. The word honor there means to place value upon her. That she should be someone of great worth. I ask you a question, gentlemen. How valuable is your wife to you? What, how much is she worth to you? I'll tell you my price tag on Kay. She was here in the first service. There is none. My wife is priceless to me. Here's the other thing. And she'll tell you this. She knows that I feel that way about her. There's no doubt in her mind that she is the number one person apart from God Almighty in my life. She is everything to me. Some would say, well, boy, aren't you putting her on a pedestal? Yep. Good going. You've got it. She is on a pedestal. She is everything to me. I grant her honor as a fellow heir of life. There's nothing more secure for a woman, gentlemen, to know that she is so important to you that nothing, nothing, nothing takes her place. Nothing. Talking about honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, let's let's boil it down to you and me, all of us, men and women here. How honored are we before God? Well, God paid the ultimate price for your soul. He shed the blood of His Son, His only begotten Son, so that you would know for certain you are of great value to God. He has purchased your soul through His blood. He asks you to trust and believe in Him. 
so as to honor him for what he has done for you. But he has honored you and me greatly by his son. Therefore, gentlemen, if we are to love our wives like Christ loves us, that's a major responsibility. And it's so well worth it. Peter closes verse 7 with this statement. Since, he says, you are to live with your wife in an understanding way. In other words, as a farmer would his land, you're to help to make her flourish. Because she's a weaker vessel means that she has willfully placed herself under your authority because she is a woman. So therefore, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. She too was paid for in full by Jesus Christ. So why are you and I as a husband to honor, to understand, to love our wives? It's a selfish reason. It's selfish. Just look. He says at the end of verse 7, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Gentlemen, I know of no one weaker on the face of this earth than a believer in Jesus Christ who understands who He is and all that He means to us than to think that our prayers that go up to Him for our family, for our jobs, for anything and everything that you do, to think that our prayers go up as far as the ceiling, just bounce down and just, just sit at our feet, don't go anywhere. You don't want your prayers to be hindered. As a man of God, the weakest you will ever be is when God will not answer your prayers. Now, I ask you, do you feel like your prayer life is being hindered? I recommend you immediately do two things. Number one, search your heart and see if there's any known sin in your life and deal with it. Confess your sin before God. Ask Him for forgiveness and He will give it to you immediately. Secondly, almost as importantly, take a good hard look at how you're treating your wife. The most precious gift that God has ever given to you apart from His Son, Jesus Christ. Are you honoring your wife? Now, there's only one way to know that. You've got to ask her. You've got to ask her. I told you my story. told you when I thought I was doing the best job in the world, I thought I was really treating Kay to the max. I had, we used to date each other. In fact, in the first service, I looked her dead in the eyes and I said, we're going to start doing this again. We've kind of gotten away from it where I date her every week and we go and ask, I ask her questions and she asks me and we, we kind of fill in how are we doing as a couple. We've gotten away from it. We're going to start it up again. I'm going to kickstart that with Kay again. That's my vow for you and her eyes. But when we used to go, first thing I would ask her every time is, how am I doing as your husband? And this, this week was one of those great weeks, you know, where I, hit, I, did, I did everything perfect. Oh. I couldn't wait to ask her. Couldn't wait. You know, when I asked this in the first service, when we were in grade school back in Highland Park, Michigan, we had one teacher. I, I, don't, I don't know if it was all the teachers, but one for certain if we did really well, would give us a gold star and put it, lick it and put it right on our foreheads. And I can remember, this is the truth, this isn't like a, 
Brian Williams story where it, did it happen or didn't it? No, this happened. <laughs> this happened. I remember, I remember I used to walk home real carefully, you know, because I, I didn't want that thing to fall off because I wanted my folks to at least know I was trying. So I was going into this restaurant with Kay, and I was opening the front door, uh, the, the door of the restaurant, figuring, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to get my star right now. And I said, how have I been doing this week? And she looked me dead in the eyes and said, terrible. Holy cow. I had two choices I, at the time. That's what I thought of. But first one was, <laughs> if you don't like the way I'm doing, there's the door. I'm trying the best I can. If you don't like me that way, then you're never going to like me. Or, which I didn't do that, I could do this. I could say, you tell me where I did wrong and I'll correct it the best I can. I want to ask your forgiveness. I swallowed every bit of pride that I had because I thought I was doing great. And she thought I was doing terrible. Which one counted? I'm asking which one? Hers. Mine didn't count at all. I asked her and I found out. My response was, let me correct it. Let me be the husband that you want me to be. I'm sorry that I've disappointed you. Here's another hint, guys. Don't listen to her tell you all the things that you've done wrong and then just push it aside and just go about your way. If she asks for a change in your life, Change. I tell you that because you'll never be able to outlove her. Change. If she's asked for it. So, that's the, the thing that we're talking about. If you're not sure about whether your prayer life is being hindered, then ask your wife and, and maybe, maybe be in for a shock. That's why I tell every man that I've ever married, I, I, I counsel couples before I marry them, which is, Doing weddings is my, the most fun thing you could ever do, ever do. And my, my, well, I love doing this. I, I should say this is it. But weddings are so much fun because the couple are so much in love, and it's just, it's really fun. But when I'm counseling them, I, I've never failed to look a husband-to-be in the eyes and say, are you sure you want to marry that girl? I say that right in front of the both of them, pointing to her. And you can hear the nervous giggle, you know. He's, oh, yes, yes, I do. I love her very much. And I said, I don't blame you. I tell him normally. I said, she's absolutely beautiful. I said, you guys are going to get married, uh, let's say, next Saturday at uh, 12 o'clock, right? At about 12.15, I'm going to look you in the eyes. And I'm going to say, do you take this woman to be your wife? And you're going to say to me, I do. The moment you utter that word, do, you just bought the farm. In other words, whatever she is, you have just committed yourself to care for her in an understanding way and to be a farmer that makes her flourish. And she might be high maintenance. Then what are you going to do? And you come to me and say, I, 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 and I'll say, you bought it. Clean it up. Fix it. Now, we shouldn't be so smug. At least I can't be. In my case, as a believer in Jesus Christ, and we all are who have trusted in Christ, called 
the bride of Christ, right? That's what we are, the bride of Christ. For the life of me, I don't know why my Lord takes the time to love me as He does. <clears throat> as He does. For the life of me, I don't understand why my Lord forgives me every time as He does. Because I am one major load of upkeep. I mess up so often. And my guess is, so do you. And when you think it through in that fashion, when God says to you as a husband, I want you to live with your wife in an understanding way, and I want you to love her like I do you, can we do any of the less for our wives, men? I say no. Now I want you to close with me as we go to Ephesians. I want to take a second look at what we were talking about. And Ephesians really nails it. Turn to the left and go to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to close with this. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives us a second look at the very same thing that Peter has said in 1 Peter chapter 3. For instance, look, I'm not going to talk about this this morning, but, but look at verse 22. Ladies, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's exactly what Peter says. Because he says in verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be their own husbands and everything. So same message, same thought. You're not going to see the Bible contradict itself. But what does he say to us as husbands? Let's look. Verse 25 to verse 33. Read it with me and then we're going to go back over a little of it. Verse 25. Husbands, okay, nailing us, it's us. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot, nor wrinkle, nor any such thing, that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we're members of his body. And he takes us back to Genesis chapter 2, which we will do the next time we talk further about husband and wives and marriages. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother, shall cleave to his wife. The two of them shall become one flesh. This mystery, he says, is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. In other words, Paul is comparing marriages with, the, with Christianity and the church. Nevertheless, verse 33, let me close with this. Nevertheless, he says, let each individual among you also love his own wife even as himself. He's repeating this over and over again. And then he says, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Man, do you give yourself, your wife someone to respect within your home, within your lives? Does your wife respect you? Let me show you how she can. Look at verse 25 again. We're to sacrifice ourselves for our wives. Best story I know, and I, I want to rush through this, but best story I know is long ago, way before I've been, Kay and I were in church, we were in ministry with professional athletes and their wives. We had a couple that would just 
like they, they could have been a poster child in any magazine for a good-looking couple. She was drop-dead gorgeous. And he was this tall, good-looking guy. Had all of his hair, darn it. He was a good-looking guy. <laughs> they loved each other so much except for one thing. Now, any of you that, that, that never played professional sports, you have no idea the grind it is. It really is a grind. It's, it's, a, it's intense, and you, and, you, and you give it every, every ounce of your energy and every bit of your thought from the time the season begins until it closes. When the season closes, normally what the guys like to do is just unwind. They just want to relax. So this guy loved, loved, loved to hunt. That's his favorite thing in the world to do. He absolutely loved hunting. And so he and a few of the guys on his team would gather together, and at the end of the season, they would pack up their bags, they would take their guns and their, and their stuff, and they would go hunt. I've never hunted a day in my life, so I don't understand what they did. But they went, and, they went and hunted. When he came back after hunting for an extra week and a half or so, there would be like this in the house. She said, why did you go hunting? Well, I wanted to relax. Why did you go hunting? I need you here to help with the kids, to help with the house. I don't need you to go hunting. You're gone all season. Stay here with me. He says, I'm going to go hunting. And they were at each other's throats. And who did they come to? Kay and me. I was well prepared for this because just recently, at that time in our lives, our son was born and, and Kay all of a sudden had to take care of the house, take care of everything, bathe and wash the John Mark, take everything about him. And, and, and I was out doing ministry and I was out hanging around with the guys and, and I would go play golf with the guys. And I came home one day after playing golf and she says, I resent the fact that you play golf. I need, I need, I need you here to help with John Mark. I said, but that's my ministry is to play golf with the guys. She says, I don't want you playing golf anymore. So you know what I did? Here's a... Here's a Here's the thing for you guys to understand. I, I, took, and I took my golf clubs and I gave them to one of my friends. I didn't have any golf clubs anymore. I showed Kay firsthand that I, I, she, what she wanted was more important than my playing golf. So, with that in mind, this couple comes to us and I ask the guy, I say, do you love your wife? He says, I love her with all my heart. And I says, do you love the hunt? He says, I love the hunt. I says, who do you love more? Your wife or your hunting? He says, my wife. I said, great, get rid of your guns. Oh, no. That was a, that, I might, as, I might as well just cussed him out. He looked at me like, what are you, what kind of counsel is this? And I said, get rid of your guns. He said, no. I said, well, do you love your wife? Yes. Then get rid of your guns. Do you want him to go hunting? I asked her. She said, no. I said, then get rid of your guns. took a few sessions. He finally got rid of his guns. They're still together, of course. They're madly in love with one another, of course. And now she lets him hunt anytime he wants. You know what the process was? I didn't realize it then. I do now. Hunting was to her a mistress. Hunting was, wasn't a woman, it was a mistress. It was something that got between her and him. And she felt with all of her heart that he loved hunting more than he loved her. And I'm not sure she wasn't right. But he gave it up 
And as soon as he proved to her that he gave it up, she said, you can go hunting all you want. I'm fine. I'll take care of the kids. You can't out-love your wives. Gentlemen, sacrifice yourself for your wives. Don't expect a goodie like she's going to say a week later, oh, you can go back and do that. She might not. She might be higher maintenance than that. You just bought that farm, though. (laughs) Secondly, verse 26. Let's get through with this. Sanctify her. Set her apart from all others. Cleanse her with the Word of God. Let me tell you something, gentlemen. There's nothing, hardly nothing more than what a woman wants than for her husband to be the spiritual leader in their home. To lead her and the kids towards Christ and grow in Christ. That's why I say to you it's so important for you to come on Mondays and study the pursuit of, of, of uh, godliness, pursuit of God. That's why it's so important if you can to come on Wednesday morning. In fact, if you come this Wednesday, you're going to get a real treat because Mark is going to teach us. And I can't wait for that. Or to come to uh, whatever that we do here at the church. Get, is, get ingrained or ingrained, I don't know. Let the Word of God saturate you. Get to know it, guys. Sanctify your wife. Set her apart from all others by the cleansing of the Word of God. Be her spiritual leader. Thirdly, verse 27, present her to the world without spot or wrinkle, holy and blameless. I know of no more beautiful woman than a woman who is loved with her husband, who understands her, who lives with her in an understanding way, who treats her like the queen that she should be treated like. I don't know of any woman more beautiful than a woman who is living with a man that loves her to death. I made mention in the first service, I'm going to embarrass the heck out of you, but the cooks, Bruce, you live with your wife beautifully because she is so beautiful. But I'm not talking about beautiful here. She is. I'm talking the beauty that comes from within her. All of us as men ought to make that a goal. And verse 29 tells you and me that we are to nourish and to cherish her just as Christ does you, the church, us. In other words, love her deeply. Love her deeply. A few years ago, a long time ago, I don't even remember when now. I've got to look it up. I received um, something that I want to read to you right now. It's kind of lighthearted. But it is, in essence, what happens sometimes in marriage if you don't, Keep it fresh and real in love. You see, I, uh, I let Kay know how much I love her. On Valentine's Day, she doesn't want fuss, but I always write her a handwritten note. And while we were sitting in the front room, I put it on her pillow, because she always go to bed before me. I turned the light on so that she would have light when she walked into the bedroom and there was this note on the pillow and I knew it was going to happen. I was sitting there, couldn't wait. All of a sudden I heard down the hall, clip, 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 clip. She walked in, sat down on the chair with me, just thanked me for that note. After she got through thanking me, she went to bed and I went back to my office and I wrote her another one so that she would have another note to wake up with in the morning. I wanted to let her know that my feelings for her is real. We've been married 41 years. 
When I saw her the first time I ever laid eyes on her was in Hawaii. I wish you were with me. That's 41. That's a long time ago. Some of you weren't even born. I'm telling you, you talk about someone that knocked you out. She had this purple dress on. I know what she, I can remember exactly what she was wearing. Had this long purple dress, scoop neck. Her hair was down, just flowing over her her shoulders, and she was a tan of living in Hawaii, and she looked unbelievable. And I made a move on her. I can't tell you that I fell in love with her at that moment, but I, good Lord, tell you I fell in lust with her that moment. <laughs> I never seen anybody look like that. And that was 41 years ago, and she still makes my heart beat when I see her in the morning. She's still that girl. I want to read you something that's called The Seven Years of a Married Wife's Cold. I found this, and I don't know, someone must have given it to me. It was out of the Saturday Evening Post, but year one, she coughs. The husband says, sugar dumpling. I'm so worried about my little baby girl with that cough. You got yourself a bad sniffle, and there's no telling about these things nowadays, so I'm going to put you in the hospital. I'm going to call Doc Stroman right now for, for your general checkup, and I want you to get some good rest. And I know that the food there in the hospital is lousy, so I'm going to go to our favorite restaurant, and I'll bring you food right to your bed. Second year cough. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough of yours. So I called Doc Stroman, asked him to rush over here to look into that. Now you go to bed like a good girl, and I'll bring you up some soup. Third year cough. I don't like the sound of your cough. Maybe you ought to lie down. Nothing like a little rest when you're feeling punk. I'll bring you something to eat. What have you prepared? (laughs) You can see it's starting to slide. Fourth year, cough. Look, dear, that cough sounds deeper. Be sensible. After you feed the kids and get the dishes done, you ought to hit the sack. (coughs) Fifth Fifth year cough. Holy cow, why don't you get yourself a couple of aspirin? That cough sounds terrible. Sixth year cough. Perfect timing. What's with that cough of yours? Why don't you gargle or something instead of sitting around here barking like a seal? I love that one. I just love that. I never can get it out. Just sit around here barking like a seal. Very sensitive. Oh, the sixth year, seventh year cracks me up the most. She coughs. He says, for Pete's sake, will you stop that coughing? What are you trying to do? Give me pneumonia? Guys, we should never leave the first year. We should never leave the first year. That's the same girl that you fell in love with. Don't forget what she looked like and what you felt like at that moment. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. The most priceless gift that the Lord God has given you apart from His Son, Jesus Christ, is the woman, the girl that you have married. Treat her. Treat her like she needs to be treated. If you wonder how, it's, it's like love. It's like this is my expression of love. 
I'm willing to love Kay with all my heart. I'm loving the heck out of her. But she looks at me and says, you know, that's not the way I want to be loved. Oh, wow. How do you want to be loved? She says, it's over here. My choice is simple. I just do this or this or that. It doesn't matter. I just want to love her. Father, thank you for the privilege you've given us of marriages. The world out there is trying to destroy it. And you laid a rock-solid foundation asking the wives to be submissive. And we'll find out exactly what that means, Father, from your word in a couple weeks. And you've asked us as husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way and to grant her honor. So, Lord, would you please bless our marriages. Bless our lives. Bless everybody here. In Jesus' name, amen.